Now I'm on. <laughs> I think that's user error, by the way. Wow, what an incredible day of worship today. I, I love Terry Adams, and he's a man who makes it about Jesus. And I think that's why we love him as a congregation. We're going to say a few more words in just a minute, but Jesus is the reason that we're here today. I think about a year ago and how much we missed Easter. We, we weren't able to gather and today we're back. The choir is here. You know, what a wonderful, wonderful thing today to celebrate our risen Lord together as a church family. I, I love the fact that we're intergenerational as well. I was telling the earlier service because some of the 4 o'clock service moved back into the 9 and maybe some of them are here in the 11, uh, 10.30 as well. But I believe it's God's plan that we, younger, older, uh, children, seniors, uh, that we're, we're worshiping together. And that's the right thing. That's the godly thing. That's the biblical thing. And what a way to worship today. Thank you, choir and orchestra and praise band and Terry. What a, what a wonderful time to focus our attention on the Lord. Join me in prayer. Father, it's good to be in your house today. Forgive us all the Sundays, months, and years we have taken that for granted, that we could gather in your name with your people and give you the worship that you deserve. Lord, you knew that we would need this. You, you called us in your word to gather with your people and encourage one another and learn together and worship together and I pray that today that you have been honored in this place, that you have received this offering from our lips, these songs of praise, and now receive this offering of praise as we open up your word. Let it be your word that we hear. Let it be your words that, that come to the front and that we remember and that burn our hearts and our minds today. We surrender all to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today we're going to see a game changer. I love it when I'm sitting around with someone and they taste something and they say, hmm, this is a game changer. Or, or whatever it might be in life, sometimes there's an element or a factor that is brought into play that changes everything that we think or see about a certain thing. Maybe something like an air fryer. You remember when they first came out? how that changed so much. We can walk back through time and their microwave and the dishwasher and the washing machine and electricity. Uh, I said we're intergenerational today. Some of you might even remember when indoor plumbing became a thing. That was a game changer. Back in 1928, bread began to be packaged a little bit differently. They began to slice it by machine and wrap it up and people were able to go just pick up a loaf and take it home and that was a that was a game changer so much so that that idiom that we now use is a very popular idiom the greatest thing since sliced bread these are game changers today we're going to see travelers two travelers that experienced a game changer life took on a whole new meaning from a point of despondency and despair to a point of elation and worship and celebration. Look with me in Luke's gospel. 
I want to show you a couple of things before we get to our text in Luke 24. Luke, in chapter 1, gives us his reason for writing this gospel. Each book of the Bible has a purpose behind it because each book fits into the one story of God's story of redemption. And in Luke chapter 1, we get his purpose for uh, writing in verse 3. It seemed good to me, also having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Every time we read the Word of God, it should build our certainty. Because we see the historical facts, we see the work of God, and and we experience the work of God even as we read it. God is doing something, and Luke, this doctor, kind of an academic person, as well as a historian, is writing volume one to his second work, volume two, Acts, and he's saying, I wanted to put out an orderly account so that you could have firm faith so that you could be certain in what you believe. And we might even echo what Paul said in Romans 10, uh, 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. As we study the Word of God, we grow in our faith. And that was Luke's purpose. God inspired him to write this down so that they would have certainty, so that their faith would grow. Now, Luke's message is nuanced by the fact that he's focusing on Jesus' humanity. Jesus is the perfect Son of Man. I I love it when we lay it aside John because he's talking about the perfect Son of God. And so we have deity and humanity, the the God-man, fully God, fully man in one, Jesus, who came to this earth. And so as we think about Luke's message, the outline points us to where he's going with his book. And so in the first part of Luke... We get this background where we have record of his birth and we see his boyhood and we see his baptism. All of this stuff that is in play to prepare the way for Jesus to come on the scene and to begin his ministry. His ministry begins in Galilee. And he's teaching, he's doing miracles, he's calling his disciples out. And notice such a significant portion of Luke's gospel is his journey to Jerusalem. If we're not careful, we can miss this in Luke chapter 9 and verse 51. The whole tenor of the book changes in this one verse because it reminds us of Jesus' mission when he came to earth. Notice Luke 9, 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up. What What a mouthful. What a great theology lesson in one statement. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. That's why Jesus came. He came to go to Jerusalem to die. He came to be arrested. He came to be on trial and to be found guilty of blasphemy, equating himself with God because he is God, and to be crucified to die for our sins. And of course, Luke spends Four chapters, chapters 19 through 23, just on that last week of his life here on earth. The arrest, the trials, uh, even back earlier as we even walk through the Passion Week, but then get to Good Friday, the death of Christ, and Saturday, silent Saturday when he's in the tomb, and Sunday when he's raised from the dead. And of course, that's Luke 24. 
He's wanting to give us evidence that Jesus indeed did rise from the dead. And so there are a number of things that he puts forth as evidence, as this historian trying to make sure we get the clearest picture. And this evidence for the resurrection is first with the empty tomb. When they go, the ladies, they find the, tomb, the stone rolled away. They were going to prepare his body for burial. The Sabbath had passed on that Saturday, and now it was Sunday. They had gone to prepare it, and the stone is rolled away. And so the women find an empty tomb. They come in contact with a couple of angels who tell him he's not here. He's risen, just as he said. As they run back to the disciples, we find that then they not, don't necessarily believe the women, but they go, especially Peter, to find out what happened. And G- Peter... Uh, has Jesus appear to him. And then, of course, we get to our story of these two travelers on the road to Emmaus, a seven-mile journey away from Jerusalem. So look with me in Luke 24 and verse 13, and I, I want you to just to walk with me. It's a, it's, a, it's a great story. It's a life-changing story. And I want you to see the background, this account of these two people as they make their way And then I have three key ideas that I want to point out to you. That very day, that Sunday morning, where the ladies had already been to look in, the the empty tomb, that very day, two of them, and we're not exactly sure who the two are. We do get one name in this text. When you look down at verse 18, one is Cleopas. When you read in John's Gospel, John 19, a case can be made that the other traveler is Mary, Uh, wife of Cleopas. Uh, There's some debate there. James Montgomery Boyce, he seems pretty uh, definite and sure that had to be it. It's a husband and wife, team traveling. But we do know Cleopas, from Luke's account, is there, and there's another traveler alongside of him. And so they're headed toward Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Verse 14, And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So you see first this encounter. God supernaturally covers their eyes. So that they don't recognize Jesus. This is who it is and we're going to find out it is. But he kept them from being aware. So this encounter. Now notice the conversation that begins to happen in verse 17. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. You can imagine why they were sad. If it is this husband and wife, they're both talking back and forth, can't figure it out. Uh, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, as it's spelled in John 19, was there at the cross when Jesus died. And and if this is her, you can imagine she has that image in her mind, this one that she thought was going to be the deliverer, the savior, the one that the prophets had talked about. She thought it was that Jesus was this man, this this. Messiah. And so when he was arrested, I'm sure they thought he was just going to break all the bounds. He was going to break free and maybe kill all the Roman soldiers and call angels from heaven. I mean, they, they thought he would be a mighty warrior, military person come on the scene. And so when he was crucified, all their hopes were dashed. Saturday came and they were still wrestling with, we thought he was the one. We've, we have no hope now. What are we going to do? And then 
you see them here on this Sunday morning. Verse 18, Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, this is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What, a, what an amazing conversation that God would, God would bring them in to the know of what was happening. That here are these people without hope, and they still didn't get it. They should have been putting it all together. Jesus himself had told them. But now he's explaining it to them in this conversation. Notice the revelation now of Jesus in verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly saying, Stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he sat at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And then the final part of this encounter, the confirmation about Jesus. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, verse 33. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. What an amazing story. Two people walking along, and God cares enough about each one of them to make himself known to them. Let me give you three points this morning that I want you to, to take from this story. Three things that I think are key that are, that are game changers for us. And the first one is Jesus opened the scriptures. Jesus opened the scriptures. It's interesting, down in verse 32, we see this point being made. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? God has ordained that his word change people's lives. It's, it's like the, the rain that, that comes from the sky that replenishes the earth. God's word is poured out for us and it accomplishes what he sets it forth to do. And, and so when the word, when Jesus opens up the word, Jesus is the living word in the sense that he is the expression of God. And here we have the Word giving the Word of God. He, he knows it inside and out and can quote it. And He is the one who is behind it. And He brings the Word of God to bear with these two people. Now being God, He could have just made up His own story. He could have done whatever He wanted to do. But in consistency with 
creation to the present day. He brings to bear the very word of God. Now, notice what it says about them back up in verse 30, uh, back in verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish one, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. The problem is never with the word of God and whether it makes a difference in people's lives. The problem is in the hearts of people. Our hearts are hard. Our hearts are slow. Even even to be born again takes an act of God to draw us to himself and to bring dead people alive. And even the people who are made alive, we're still slow of heart because we live in the flesh. And oftentimes we choose to live by the flesh as opposed to the spirit. Now you think about these guys, these two people who are walking along Jesus opened up the scriptures, this, this treasure. Don't ever take the scriptures lightly. Like I said this morning, we didn't get to celebrate Easter together last year. I, I don't want to take it lightly. I don't want to take it for granted this year. But don't take for granted the fact that we get to open up the scriptures because it's a treasure from God. It expresses his heart and his mind and his will. And for us, as we open it up, we know that it's one story as it's collected together there are 66 books and it has a lot of different stories in it but all of it points us back to the one story of God God it's creation fall redemption and consummation that's the one story the Bible is one story every book we read in the Bible every story we read in the Bible it should come back to this one story God created a perfect world he gave us purpose and meaning to know him to enjoy him and to glorify him Humanity chose to go its own way. First, Adam and Eve and everyone that followed after them fall. And then redemption. We see God's plan being mapped out all through scriptures to bring people back to himself, to make us right with him. And one day all things are going to be made right totally in the consummation. Jesus is coming back and he will make all things right and all things will be settled. The scriptures, it's one story. And we see it as it plays out in those four different chapters. And he began to interpret it to them. How did he interpret it to them? Well, verse 26, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things to enter into his glory? So they they didn't get that. They didn't get why Jesus had to die. I mean, why why did somebody have to die? And so he began to go back through. He began to go back through the law. You think about Moses in Genesis. And the Christ is that seed of the woman that would crush the head of the serpent. And then he moves on over into Exodus. And you see how Moses delivered the people of God from Egypt, how God worked through Moses, and Moses was a great prophet. Well, the Christ is a prophet that's greater than Moses. And he, he is the one who would deliver God's people from sin. And then he goes into Leviticus as he, as he walks through the sacrifices and he says the Christ is that, is that sinless lamb that would be slain and sacrificed. And, and, and you can even move on into uh, the wisdom literature in Psalms. In Psalm 22, and it says his, his hands and his feet would be pierced and, and, and connected over into Isaiah. Isaiah said that a virgin would give birth to a son in chapter 7. In chapter 9, a son will be given to us. In chapter 53, this suffering servant, this, this son, he would, he would be pierced for our transgressions. He would be bruised for our sins. He would pour out his life for us. And so this one story, Jesus is saying, that's the Christ. That's, that's Jesus. That's the one who would come. 
why would he die? Well, it's a good theological word called propitiation. John uses it in 1 John 4 and verse 10 when he talks about how, how Jesus gave of himself for us, but the wrath of God when sin entered in, because God is holy and just, sin had to be punished. That's why we had the sacrificial system. Without the shedding of blood, there would be no remission. There would be no forgiveness of sin. And Jesus would be the ultimate once and for all sacrifice to appease the wrath of God. When Jesus died on the cross, sometimes we think he received the wrath of man. No, he received the wrath of God. He was our substitute, took the punishment that you and me deserved. Jesus' death appeased the wrath of God. And the judgment that you deserved is no longer in force if you became a follower of Christ. Your sin's already been paid for. It's like going to pay your debt and saying, hey, it's already paid for. That's what Jesus did for us. He opened the scriptures. He interpreted it to them. And it's that death on the cross that motivates us today to follow him. I love what Cameron Cole said about the gospel. He said, a crossless gospel makes spineless Christians. When I think about the sacrifice that Jesus made for me, it drives me to give my all for him. If I don't understand the cross, then I probably have some kind of sentimental love from God. But when I understand the cross, I see it's not just a sentimental, it's a sacrificial love that demands my all. You see, a, a, a crossless Christianity produces spineless Christians because we're not willing to, to sacrifice. We're not willing to give our all. And to be a follower of Christ is surrendering everything. If you confess Him as Lord, if you follow Christ, it's, it, it's not a work of ours, it's a surrender of ours to Christ. We die to self to live for something greater. We obey. We're willing to endure ridicule and persecution and discouragement. We're, we experience joy because we're counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. That's what a cross-field life is like. We take up our cross and we follow Him. Martin Lloyd-Jones made another statement about the cross that, that keeps us for a lifetime meditating on it and dwelling on it and preaching about it. He said, there is no end to this glorious message of the cross. For there is always something new and fresh and entrancing and moving and uplifting that one has never seen before. We have a cross-filled faith Jesus opened their eyes to the scripture to see this suffering servant. And because of his suffering for us, we're willing to lay down everything for him. Jesus didn't just open the scriptures as we see in the text, but he opened their eyes. Look back in verse 31 of this story. And their eyes were open. What he had done to keep them from recognizing him until he fully explained now he opens their eyes and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. This is Jesus. They had seen him dead. If this is his wife or maybe that the companion uh, himself, 
was there at the cross. They saw him hanging on the cross. They saw him draw his last breath. They saw the blood that was being poured out on behalf of humanity. They saw and even heard Jesus say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Full, total suffering, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And now they saw this same person who was dead alive. It was proof. No doubts. We, we only have part of the gospel if, we only, if we're only talking about the cross. When someone talks about the, the gospel, it should include the cross, but it should also include the resurrection. Jesus paid for our sins, but he also shows he has power over sin and death and hell. And the resurrection gives us that assurance. The payment was made, and now we see the power over. These two, their eyes were open. They saw what had been a dead man, now alive. Jesus rose from the dead. And when they were talking to him, do you see what the text says happened? Did not our hearts, verse 32, burn within us? This is the kind of work that Jesus does. He does heart work. He, he works on the inside of men and women and boys and girls and changes them from the inside out. People's lives are changed when their hearts are changed. Jesus, this great physician, this great surgeon, is bringing the Word of God to these two and their hearts are burning within them. Maybe, maybe you've had a time like that in your life when you were... You were reading the Word of God, you were hearing the Word of God, and your heart began to burn. Maybe, maybe it was reflected in sweaty palms. Maybe it was reflected in a, in a heart that was racing where you felt conviction. And that's what this burning heart is reflecting, conviction. And, and maybe you've been at a place before where you've, you've had a hard heart and you've said no to Christ. And instead of surrendering to, to his death and resurrection and becoming a follower of Christ, you've just been living your life how you wanted to live it. You see, if there's no change, I'm not sure there's any salvation. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And when we place our faith in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have the power of God living within us, and He brings about change. He makes us more like Christ. And so their hearts burned within them. They had conviction. Now, why isn't a lost person just left without hope? Well, it's the patience of God. Why is anybody given one chance, much less chance after chance, to follow Christ? It's the patience of God. In some ways, I wish I could tell you when your last chance will be. But I can't. God didn't design life to be lived like that. We live every day knowing that that day may be the day that we stand before God. And some of you aren't ready because you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. And if you stood before Him today, He would say, Depart from me, for I never knew you. Even if you had prayed some kind of prayer, but you haven't been following Christ. Even if you had been baptized, even if you were a member of a church, and, and uh, you're not genuinely saved, your heart has not been changed, depart from me, I never knew you. Some of you, 
know Christ, and maybe you remember a time when God was really working in your life and you've been drifting. Maybe it's been over this last year you've been drifting and it's been difficult to walk with Him because you've been separated from the body and God is calling you back to a time of commitment and renewal. He wants to bring revival into your life and revival into our church family. Their hearts burned within them. He opened the, the scriptures and then he opened their eyes so they could see. And when true changes happen and our eyes see him for who he is, he opens our mouths. Notice in verse 33. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. That was a little faster pace, I imagine, than the first trip to Emmaus. And they found the eleven, minus Judas. They found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. What a great statement there. Because in one way I would, I would expect some information. The Lord has risen. But it was more emphatic than that, wasn't it? It was more inspirational that we, we believe this. The Lord has risen indeed. We don't have any question now. We've seen Him. We know that He died. We know that they laid Him in the tomb. That there was no breath in His body. And we have seen Him. The Lord is risen indeed. It was conviction for them. It was, it was, it was a game changer for them. And then the two... Verse 35, then they, the two, told what had happened on the road and how it was known to them in the breaking of bread. It now was more than just a head knowledge. It was from the heart. And these two travelers, Cleopas and his wife or another companion on the way, they now told what had happened on the road. Their, their world changed. There, there's nothing greater going to be. It, there's, we, we're not going to find something that's going to be greater than sliced bread, than the resurrection. This, this is it. This is the only thing that changes your destiny from hell to heaven. This is your, the only thing that changes life from, from bondage to freedom. It's the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That's the good news. The bad news is that we're all sinners and we're lost and we're doomed without hope, alienated from God and the family of God with Christ. We've been given the light. We've, we've been given citizenship in heaven. We've been given new birth into a, a new family. And, and what we thought was freedom, doing whatever we wanted to do, We've learned that that was really bondage. There was no way out of that. And in Christ, we feel like, man, we've, we've been given the freedom to come to men and women, the boys and the girls that God created us to be, to know Him, to enjoy Him, to glorify Him. Maybe it's a little like the people that we've seen on some of the YouTube clips. Maybe it's somebody even in our congregation today who was colorblind, had never really seen the world in color, and they received the Enchroma colorblind glasses. Have you seen that? They put them on and it's, it's overwhelming, isn't it? I mean, you just see the tears flow because now they see life differently. It's a beautiful thing to see in color. Well, that's what Jesus does for us. We see life completely different. It's not problem-free. We still go through difficulties. Sometimes the difficulty even gets more difficult. 
But we willingly take up our cross because we realize what He's done for us and we give our all. We, we want to do it. It's a joy to do it. It's a privilege to do it because the One who loved me gave Himself for me and now we joyfully, willingly let Him live His life through us. So what, what was the game changer? He's risen. Jesus Christ. Paul said, I delivered to you, first of all, what was of first importance, 1 Corinthians 15. Jesus died for our sins. He was buried according to the Scriptures, and He rose on the third day. That's the best news in the world. It doesn't get any better than that. It changes people's lives. We have a sin problem, and we're blind, and there's only one cure. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. How, how do we become a part of the family of God? It's just laid out right there. Confess Him as Lord. I'm saying I'm going to die to myself and live for someone else. I'm giving up all of my rights to another. I am going to become a follower of Christ. If you confess Jesus as Lord, that's what it means. I'm going to let Him be my boss, my master from here on out. I willingly surrender all because I've made a mess of my life. I, I don't have peace in my life. I don't have purpose in my life. I don't know which direction to go in. I surrender everything to Jesus. That's what it means for Jesus to be Lord of your life. If you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart, God raised Him from the dead. See, some of you have been striving to live up to a certain thing. Well, if I can do this much, then maybe it will outweigh my bad. You'll never get there. You're a sinner. You'll never get there. You'll never attain. Jesus did everything necessary for you to be saved. He paid the full price for your sin. And He rose from the dead. And He offers His work on your behalf to you so that you can become a part of the family of God. Don't, don't be slow of heart today. Don't blow another opportunity today to say yes to Jesus and to surrender to Him. Don't, don't be hard-hearted today. Don't, don't let this day go by. This is Easter 2021. Wouldn't it be a great day to say, today's the day I, I surrender all. I confess Jesus is my Lord. And I place my faith in His death and resurrection. God, forgive me. Come into my life. Allow me now to follow Christ. Wouldn't it be a great day for that? Some of you, this is a day to recommit your lives to Christ. Easter 2021. You, maybe you've been drifting. Maybe you haven't drunk as deeply from the cross of Christ and relied fully on the resurrection of Christ to help you. And, and you've been leaning into yourself and God's calling you out for a time of repentance today to turn from sin and turn from self, turn from the distractions Say, God, I want to be on the right track today. This is your day. The Lord has given you this day. The Lord has given you a gift this day, an opportunity. Would you make it right? Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this opportunity today to worship you. What else could bring more joy and satisfaction than to see that only Jesus brings joy and satisfaction. Thank you for all that you've done on our behalf to make us right with yourself. And I pray that today that you would allow 
any and every person in this room to come to grips with salvation, with the new birth, with surrendering everything, making Jesus Lord the day of their lives. And may this be the day for many in this congregation. For others who've done that but yet have drifted, Lord, call them back. Let, let their hearts burn within them even now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand together, please? Sing with us. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like